to another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm Montel Williams, and you know what we do here at Let's Be Blunt is we talk about everything and anything cannabis to see if we can make sure we get you some information to help you navigate the landscape out there as you try to make good choices for your own health and wellness. So thank you so much for joining us today. And today, you know, as we have looked at, you know, the last, really last three years when it comes to cannabis around the world and especially in the United States, and we've noticed that, you know, now people are finally starting to understand the benefits of medicinal marijuana and the benefits of this marijuana period. You know, sometimes I think in most of the time we have forgotten the past and what has transpired even in the recent past when it comes to marijuana. And today I'm really happy to have a guest on that might be able to put a little bit more of this in perspective. He is the he won the Olympic gold medal for snowboarding in 1998, but was stripped of his medal, eventually being returned to him, but stripped of his medal because they found low levels of THC in his bloodstream. He's a proponent of cannabis for sports performance enhancement. He recently started a brand new program, a brand new program called Legacy by Ross, a cannabis retail company. I'm talking about the one and only Mr. Ross Rebegliati, the 1998 first Olympic gold medal snowboarder from Canada, Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. Montel, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. And I'm, I'm glad you're back. But, you know, I want to, it's interesting, you know, people tune in to our podcast from all over the world. And, and, you know, I think a lot of people forgot, though I remember you and I remember when this happened, thinking that's really kind of crazy and stupid. But a lot of people don't remember what happened to you? Let's talk a little bit about your experience back in Japan in 1998 when you actually won the gold medal. And was that the first year that snowboarding was recognized as a sport in the Olympics? It was. Yeah, it was a big buildup. And uh, snowboarding was, uh, you know, on the forefront of, of sports and, and, you know, what the young people were into at the time and still are. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, and you crushed it. You crushed it, <laughs> destroying the competition. And after your event, now, did they take a blood test of you after the event? So it was a urine test right then in the finish line. Basically, they had a medical tent set up. And so we gave our urine tests right there um, in the finish line. We had a little mock-up award ceremony there um, ahead of time. And then we did the, the pee test. And, um, yeah, that's where I gave my sample. And let's let's talk about You gave your sample, and the sample came back not identifying what the substance was, correct? That's right. They didn't let me know. um, At least they didn't let me know what it was. They may have known. um, Somebody might have known exactly. But, yeah, we we weren't sure. I had a feeling (laughs) uh, that, that I knew what it was because I don't take steroids and I don't take, you know, I don't cheat. Or anything like that. I'm 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 an honest guy. I just want to be a law-abiding citizen like everybody else. And um, but I was exposed to cannabis leading up to Nagano um, on a daily, and it just never occurred to me that even though I wasn't using it, that that would that could happen. And of course, obviously, we know, you know, people died from cancer from being in the workplace where people were smoking cigarettes back in the 70s and 80s. So it's not a stretch, but uh, yep. You actually, you actually tested, you actually tested positive from secondhand smoke of cannabis. So you weren't using it at the time, 
And when that test came out positive, they tried to say that you were using a banned substance, but later found out that marijuana wasn't even on the Olympics banned substance list, correct? That's right. The the holy grail. And uh, it was quite the, the surprise that, you know, because we actually thought it was, you know, going into the Olympics. We thought it was because on the World Cup tour, it is on the list. But the IOC list was slightly different and didn't include um, cannabis. And just to be clear, Montel, um, I wasn't using cannabis at the time, but I had stopped using it, um, you know, to meet the Olympic criteria. So I just, you know, I just want to clarify, I was a cannabis user leading up to the, the games, you know, since, uh, you know, probably a good six, seven years before that. And then to meet Olympic criteria, you know, I, you know, obviously stopped using it. And, um, and then, um, yeah, it just, uh, the secondhand smoke got me. And, you know, let's talk about how scary this experience was, because where did not the Japanese government try to um, charge you with bringing an illegal substance into the country, even though it was in your bloodstream? Exactly. I ended up in jail in a police station um, in Nagano um, on the second day. This is all on the same day. The second day. So what? Yeah. you go to the tent, you give your sample, they say, oh, we found something, and then they arrest you the next day? No. So what happened was that they had to take that sample to the lab. And so we went down to Nagano that night, you know, from Shigakogan, which was the mountain. So we went down to Nagano. We did the official award ceremonies where I was presented my gold medal. And then we partied all night in the hotel up at the ski resort. And, we and were partied still without... Partying. Without cannabis, you partied. Exactly. We were doing, uh, I guess there was a bottle of whiskey going around, and I don't know what was going on, but we uh, had a good time. There was karaoke, and um, it wasn't out of control like or anything like that. The other athletes were there that still had to compete. You know, this was the very first day of the Olympics as well, so um, that was all great. And uh, in the morning, we were still people were congregating in my room because none of us had ever even seen an Olympic medal before. And um, all this, all of a sudden, so the coaches came in the room and, and uh, this was after breakfast and told everybody to, to get out except for me. And uh, that's when the hair in the back of my neck stood up and they told me I better sit down and that I tested positive for a controlled substance. And like you said, I didn't, they didn't know uh, what it was, but they told me to gather up all my supplements and, you know, I was taking all the regular stuff like creatine and whatever we're allowed to take. Um, you know, I was, I'm not the biggest sure. guy, but I was competing against guys that were like six, five, right. two forty, And so I was like 195% body fat trying to, you know, eat up my weight class. But, um, I told them right then, I was like, it's cannabis. Like there's only one thing that I, I'm pretty sure it could be. And, and that's what it was as it turned out. But um, it, it took a couple of days, though, because, you know, I, from then, when the coaches were in my room, they sent me on a bus down to Nagano, two hours by myself on a little shuttle van. I'm just like the world's caving in on me. And um, we get there, you know, from the ski resort, there was just nobody there. I was just left by myself. I got there. There was literally like a thousand reporters waiting for the the shuttle van and where I was supposed to meet. And if you look on YouTube, you can see like the how crazy it was. I mean, there was paparazzi and I was getting pushed around and, um, you know, that sort of thing. So a couple of that day went by, it was pretty sleepless night. And then the next day we had a couple of appeals in front of the IOC, which I lost. 
and um so we were we were feeling pretty down you know i was surrounded by my canadian canadian olympic team you know group of people that were assigned to this this situation and um you know amongst them was caroline letherin who really helped me out and believed my story which you know was integral and and me being able to you know present my case was that our guys believed me um and uh, not everybody did right it was a likely story sure secondhand smoke yeah right and um but the, there was tests done to show that you know those results could only have come up you know through secondhand smoke just because the numbers were so low it's like i was on i was on the tonight show like uh, a few days later on with with jay leno and and it was like a billionth of a gram i think was the number that they came up with but anyways um uh that was pretty funny they were trying to figure out how much that would cost <laughs> but anyway <laughs> a, a, billion, a billionth of a gram gotcha so, i mean there was some it was you know weed's funny right like you know this was this wasn't a funny situation but um you know i understand i get that you know and, and i wasn't um offended by any of the you know i think david letterman and even snl did some funny stuff and um you know it was all great uh, you know, kind of broke the ice a little bit, but at the time, like I was going through a serious life crisis, and um, after this, the second appeal was lost. That's when the, the police grabbed me and took me up to the the police station, and pretty much just in, interrogated me for the whole the whole long day. Um, so this was like what day three? Day three that this happened. I'm gonna show the race, and then the next day was going down to Nagano, and then the next, yeah, it was probably you know the second day after the race roughly i'm gonna say and um and they were going to charge you with what yeah. bringing illegal substance into japan because it was in your blood right it was uh the charge was um importing a controlled substance and um it was in my blood and um my urine and so it was it was a bit of a stretch right but you know asia's different and and japan you know there's a different culture there and and all of that and and so you know i was really cognizant of, of that and i'd been in japan over 10 times prior to uh going over there the world cup tours stopped there on a regular every year so um i kind of understood like there was this cultural difference and um you know i tried to just relax you know stay calm and and kind of let the authorities i mean we've all watched the olympics like who ends up in jail i mean nobody ends up in jail even after steroids right so um, I was a little bit confused, and and so was everybody else. Like this was something no one had thought thought through, as far as our our organizing committee. And um, when I was in there, that's when they made the decision because it's the court of arbitration got involved after the second appeal was lost. So five lawyers basically went through the whole rules and saw on the first page that it wasn't on the list of banned substances. And right. so. Then it was just a clear-cut case of, you know, no rules were broken. Um, they got the call at the police station that I was reinstated. And by the way, it was the first time a, a medal had ever been taken away and, and given back again in the history of the Olympics. So this, it was pretty monumental to lose the medal. It's guaranteed almost that you're not getting it back because no one ever had before. And um, so it was it was there was some cheers and and um i was so shell-shocked at the time though i was happy to get it back but um at this point i'd i'd had so much anxiety i pretty much had a crisis and you know over this 
couple of days. And, um, you know, I, I, I was never diagnosed with PTSD or anything, but I, it took me a good 10 years <laughs> after wow. to start paying my taxes and getting my mail. And, you know, I did a lot of PR stuff. I did a lot of celebrity um, style stuff, you know, in Canada, like I said, I was on, you know, the tonight show and, you know, I got worldwide attention and, um, it kind of lasted longer than the average, you know, guy might get their 10 seconds of, of fame just because cannabis was so relevant. And, um, because I was reinstated, they talked about it again in the 2002 Olympics and they did the profile on me and I started realizing, okay, because I was the first guy, I'm going to be profiled in every Olympics you know, forever. And because this happened with, with cannabis, I call it the perfect drug test. Um, you know, the conversation kept going and going every four years. And then summer Olympics started talking about it. Like in Rio, for example, they weren't testing for cannabis. And so I got all the interviews from, you know, from, you know, around that. And in, my, in saying you know, that this, this, what a lot of people don't understand is that even though you were reinstated, no charges were filed. This impacted your life in an absolutely insane way. You lost all your sponsorship. Is that not right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I lost my sponsorships. And then uh, Canadian company Roots, um, you know, did they st- stepped up and, and uh, we did a, you know, it was a micro endorsement deal, I'll call it. But at the time, it was it was good support, you know, just for me psychologically that, you know, something was happening and I was hopefully going to, you know, be able to turn it around and. Um, but you're right. For the most part, like I ended up on the no fly list after, you know, 9-11 yesterday. Right. So, um, you know, our hearts go out to all the, the victims and survivors and everyone impacted uh, by that. Um, and and uh, there was a blanket thrown over the whole, you know, this one list and I got on it. And, and so just as far as, you know, being able to, to be part of the X Games at the time were just a burgeoning brand new event and border cross and um the attention was on me for you know substance abuse schedule one substance you know no no use to society whatsoever you know it's like the devil's drug um and and here i am i'm like no guys like actually it's part of a sustainable healthy lifestyle i go to bed early i wake up early i sleep great i eat great um i work out on a regular i just i just did uh I don't know what 30, 30, uh, nine kilometers in one hour is, but it's, uh, pretty, pretty hard workout. I just did that. I'm 48 years old and, um, you know, this is, this has been my life. So being able to like know that this is going to turn around, but I don't know when, you know, and then Mm -hmm. to live through that whole, like I worked construction, I, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, the corporate community was, you know, kind of turned their back a lot of my, my pre-sponsor, even the, you know, some people within the sport of, uh, sport of snowboarding and, and even the sport itself was going big, getting bigger and more corporate. And they're like, no, you know, actually, you know, even though we brought you up this way, we're going to, you know, sort of turn our backs a little bit now. And so it was tough. And, um, I went through a whole rediscovery, like who I am as a person. But really, um, what that led to was the belief in the cannabis in the first place that had got me to the Olympics and through hard, hard times to get there. Um, you know, this was before the internet. This was before anything. So when I'm in Europe traveling, I'm by myself. Nobody knows where I am. No one, 
knows when I'm coming home. A lot of times there weren't phones in the hotel rooms back in the in the 90s. And, um, you know, you're just on a mission. And so cannabis really got me through a lot of periods of, um, you know, solemn periods where I've done my training. I'm back in the hotel or the house that we rented in Austria and I'm on a mission. And, and so that's, you know, after the Olympics, I kind of had to realize that I'm not going to turn my back on cannabis. Um, it helped me, helped me then, and it's going to help me now. And, and um, so here we are, 21 years later, and um, you know, the the U.S. has gone through a, a transformation, you know, with the illegality or legality of cannabis, and and it's moving towards the federal model. And, and Canada has embraced the federal model within the last 12 months. Um, amazingly, last October. Now, are so, you still on list? Are you still on list right now? Where will, will they stop you from coming into the United States now? Even though you were not convicted of any crime. Correct. I, I still I have what's called an advanced parole and um, a waiver that I need from an immigration my immigration lawyer, who um, I you know. So yeah, I have basically I go there. You know, when I go through customs, I have to show them this. The paperwork, I have to literally tell them why I have it. It's part of the, the deal. Like if I if I lie about why I have it, then automatically it gets revoked. So I have to tell them. And then it's just a, a hassle. And you're like, my mom, wait, wait, but wait a minute, I'm sorry. You have to tell them what? That you were falsely accused of using a banned substance because you didn't really use it. And this craziness took place. And so this is now justifying why I'm a, a good person. Basically, yeah, basically. And try telling those guys that, right? Like, it, they just don't want to buy it. Like, they're, they'll are they look at the social media and, you know, ever since social, I got, I haven't really been like a crazy social media person, but I did start my Instagram account a few years ago. And everything that I've ever done in the media for 20 years has all been about, you know, getting behind cannabis and, and promoting you know, a healthy lifestyle around, around it. So it's kind of a stretch for me to, you know, my lawyer's like, just say you don't use it anymore. And you're just, you don't hang out with those people. And that's what they literally want you to say that because they don't even want to process you and go through the paperwork, but there's a mandate that they have to abide by. So, um, it's been a, a bit of a pain in the butt, just in that I spent so much time in the States training in Oregon and, um, Colorado and, and even in, in, you know, Northern California and stuff. And my mom lives in Palm Springs, California. So uh, it's just, you know, I've got three kids that I would love to, you know, bring down to grandma's place and, um, you know, the whole thing. So like, I kind of felt like America was my second home and it was, you know, being a world person traveling around on the world cup tour, you know, sure. I'm from Vancouver, I lived in Whistler for a long time and I'm Canadian, but really like the world is, was my playground. And since I spent so much time of it in my backyard, which was the U S I really felt that, that connection. So there was just a, you know, tough to swallow is one of the, the worst things about it that, you know, came of it was not being able to travel through the, you know, into the States freely. And uh, yeah, but besides that, you know, I'm, yeah, even now I still have the. I just had to renew it, actually. Are you kidding me? Twenty years later, from a non-bust, you still have to justify who you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true, but I think it's going to come to an end when when you you guys see federal legalization, and I really believe it's just around the corner. 
Um, uh, from your from your from your mouth to God's ears, um, and a lot of people here in the United States are are hoping that that same thing would happen. But I think that uh, you know political winds change here at the you know drop of a dime. So I, I don't know whether or not I could agree with you 100 percent how quickly the Fed's going to make a change in uh, you know their attitudes about cannabis. But let's let's move on for a second. So th- you went through this whole thing 20 years ago. And you told me that you said earlier that it took you 10 years to get beyond this, correct? Yeah, at least 10 years. Yeah, I would say I was um, in a bit of a fog and, um, you know, there was a, a really thick stigma and stereotype at the time, you know, so from 98 to 08, let's just say, um, you know, this was in the throes of prohibition, right? Like California had just done the, um, the medical thing. I think it was like 94 or something like that. And it was like, oh, yeah, right. Like even Sanjay Gupta wasn't behind cannabis at the time. Correct. Was, you know, and, and then he came out with his beautiful Charlotte's Web story um, years later. And, and so if you can imagine like what it would be like for an athlete, everyone's you know, calling me out. Yeah, right. It wasn't secondhand smoke. Even the president of the IOC called me a liar. Um, you know, so here I am, just a young guy. I was 26 at the time. Um, you know, on the no-fly list, lose sponsors. Like, I was pretty devastated by the whole thing. And at the same time, I was held out by the cannabis community and the people, basically, um, you know, through media and and, um, opportunities to go on talk shows. Um, At the time, you know, we're there and and plentiful. There there wasn't a paycheck for it. But, um, you know, when Michael Phelps had uh, his little foray with the bong at, at university, I, I was the guy that went on NBC to, to say why an athlete would, you know, would choose cannabis and, and um, you know, against the, the anti-cannabis guy. So, you know, I was putting my neck out um, in favor of, you know, all of, you know, the reasons why, you know, cannabis is a good thing. But at the same time, I was living, you know, a pretty, you know, I didn't have any money. I had no income. I could barely, you know, make ends meet. At, at one point, you know, I was literally buying like, you know, the small pack of peanuts and, you know, for the day. Sure. <laughs> and, wow. and uh, you know, I'm not, and I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. I go to the little store in, in Creekside there in Whistler and, and, you know, go in there and buy the little thing and no one knew it, but you know, now I'm on keto so I actually was doing something that was good for me. And I, yeah. and, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> and didn't whatever. even realize it, right? Right. No, right. whatever. No, it was a different. And, you know, I, I walked on um, job sites with my tool belt and my hammer. And um, I got, you know, just simple jobs at first. And then I, I worked up to, you know, being part of a, a crew building houses in Whistler and um, operating machinery, heavy machinery, excavators and skid steers and, you know, just doing driveways and fucking tying steel. So, um, you know, I, I know what, what it felt like, you know, I had an ego just like all guys and all athletes that win gold medals might have, you know? And, and meanwhile, uh, was, that's what I was going to say. Meanwhile, you're going through all this, but you've got a gold medal that you've got stashed away in a drawer somewhere. Right. I got the drawer, you know, with all the shit in it that you don't know where to put. And in there is a little leather pouch with a gold medal that, I hadn't even looked at for like a decade. And, um, and so it was kind of a contrast between barely, you know, not being able to make ends meet, not even being able to, you know, buy food, 
to working on job sites and all the while doing like really high profile media events and um you know so there was a huge contrast i was living a double life and i was really trying to portray you know that i'm gonna that i've risen above it or that it didn't bother me in the first place but really um you know you can just look at my tax records i didn't even do my taxes for friggin' 10 years um my i didn't even think about getting my mail never even considered that that's not happening um just ordering food to my house, you know, because I didn't want to go shopping and be in the public limelight because it's, it's fine and dandy. And I appreciated the support that I always got. I literally like maybe a couple of guys sent me death threats in the mail, <laughs> but basically, you know, it, this was, you know, a very positive experience and um, it was tough. What, to, what, to what kept, things. what kept you going, Ross? What kept you going, man? I mean, anybody else, would have just said, you know, the heck with this. I'm done. You know, forget it. You know what I mean? Um, what kept you going? What kept you looking ahead, thinking that this is going to turn into something good one day? The cannabis. Um, it, it kept me out of depression. Um, it, it kept a level head on my shoulders. It, as you know, it can be very introspective, and it made me consider a lot of things that were going on in my life and in the world. And, and you know, my basic belief in, in the plant itself and that this this is something that's going to take off. I mean, this prohibition is is not there for real. It's not there, it's not there for any good reason. Um, someone's going to realize this, and I'm going to try to like bring this to light. And and so that was kind of the motivation that I had, um, you know, to rise out of the the ashes of depression and 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 poverty and um, you know having a smashed ego and and the whole. You know, from hero to zero on on NBC on New Year's Eve one one year I was <laughs> watching that one that that was that felt awesome, and um, you know so there's all these things that are trying to beat you down and and just like the average guy you know or woman you know like in life and everybody has it and whatever if it's you know it doesn't look the same and you know it doesn't feel the same but um, you know there's people have these these struggles in life and and I wasn't gonna you know just be in oh I'm I should I deserve this or that or anything like you know I, I I made my bed and I'm gonna sleep in it and you know I was somehow chosen to you know carry the torch for cannabis and you know like I said I, I call it the perfect drug test um they gave me the opportunity and it gave me a platform you know where I could get out there and say look you know, cannabis is performance enhancing, everybody. Um, it's family friendly. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to tell my kids to use it and, and to try to stay away from alcohol and, and, and the whole nine yards. And, and these were things back then people didn't want to hear. And I had the opportunity to, to voice that. Well, now that, you know, in Canada and then in the Canadian, the changes to the Canadian marijuana system has been over a period of time also, though now federally it has been made legal. Even before that, they went through about a year and a half to two-year period of time where, you know, different, I guess, administrations or different um, uh, municipalities had different rulings on cannabis. Did your world start to change when that started to change? It did. Yeah, and you know we we saw a gray market emerge in in Canada and in particular in British Columbia, in Vancouver, where we had illegal dispensaries that were 
um, in a sense, selling black market cannabis on the retail market. And um, that was allowed to exist for over a decade and with basically no instances of violence or, you know, like you might see a bar fight at a bar or something like that. There was no nothing like that to speak of. And, um, you know, there was a, a tax issue, obviously, but, you know, the city of Vancouver, you know, even created licenses for these stores during Prohibition and accepted them as, as actually a human rights issue. So... Um, and yeah, did any of those did any of those people in that in the business then reach out to you to offer you opportunities then or no? Yeah, there there were opportunities then um, to get involved, and um, in the very early stages of that movement, I was still um, kind of afraid of um, you know being arrested or you know really going down that that road even though i was talking about it openly in the media i wasn't actually physically breaking the law and um i think it was basically when i tried to take my baby daughter um about seven years ago down to see my mom in california i'm like well i haven't tried to go across the border in a while and that's you know whatever 2012 or whatever the year was and um i'll try to do it so i packed up the whole family the dog and 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 um, we got turned around at the border and my wife was crying and, and it was just like, you know, it kind of brought it all back to life again. And I just was so mad that I just said, you know what, this is it. Like I've lost what I would normally be trying to protect already. What do I have to lose now by starting a cannabis company? And then so I started, I started my brand Ross's Gold. Um, that was the prohibition brand that I started uh, seven years ago. And we end, ended up with uh, a gray market dispensary in Kelowna, where, um, you know, we, we built a beautiful Ross Gold store. People thought it was a jewelry store. They came in looking for the gold. And um, they we had like 30 kinds of, of cannabis. We had all the extracts and, and um, you know, we all the edibles and, and everything. We had screen, like big screen TVs playing like sports and my all my stuff the olympics and talking talking about Canada. it was great it was like a dream come true right and then you know we we shut it down because legalization became a thing and um you know so we shut it down and i started legacy and legacy was was the brand that i wanted to kind of start with in the new legal era and and create a brand that was for athletes by athletes you know cbd is going to be a major focus um, with topical creams and patches and things that athletes and people who just want to be the best they can be uh, can use on a on a daily. Of course, we're going to have stores and all of the flour and, and all the fun rec stuff and edibles and everything as well, oils and extracts. But really, you know, the legacy brand now is, is really kind of the sophisticated sports brand geared towards people living a healthy lifestyle. And Ross Gold is the recreational brand and and you know everything that people celebrate cannabis for and, and kind of on that level so we've got these two really great and amazing brands that um you know we're we're building right now and and both are legal right now both are legal right now in canada correct yeah so we we came into that legal era a year ago last october where recreational cannabis became you know just an age limit of 19 so um 
And you know what? The numbers are going to speak for themselves. The safety of this of this plant um, really is second to none. And I think once the naysayers kind of go looking for the numbers and then they can't find them, they're going to be shaking their heads like, "Well, how come we were told this this was such a a dangerous thing?" And you know, I get I got ID just the other day to buy alcohol. You know, I wouldn't even say. You know, it was probably in Mar back in March because I haven't had any anything to drink for about six months just to try to drop weight because I'm riding my road bike and I'm doing the Ironman next summer and everything. So I just uh, couldn't even believe it because I just turned 48. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I, you know, like that's that's saying something. I'd like to I'd like to think that genetically the cannabis is, is keeping me younger. Wow. And, you know, again, you know, philosophically, you're a brand that you have, your legacy brand. And you said, let's talk a little bit more about the fact that, you know, this is a brand that is more sports oriented because you, you have some interesting beliefs in cannabis's ability to enhance sports and fitness. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So cannabis literally is performance enhancing. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Um you know, in the early days when I was saying that, I was coming at it from a different perspective um, of performance enhancement in that it gave me the motivation to do the mundane, you know, to work out again, you know, for the millionth time I'm going to do this crazy workout or bike ride or, or what have you. And then I'm going to use cannabis again to um, recover from that bike ride instead of alcohol so that I'm not putting in extra calories and carbs into my body and that my my cells and everything like through CBD and, and that sort of thing can regenerate and I can eat and sleep well because when you sleep, that's when your body actually builds itself back up again and you get that nice REM going with, with cannabis, uh, sleeping like a five-year-old. I'm not even kidding. Um, but now, so that was all just sort of like a psychological boost that, you know, gave you motivation. And But nowadays with science, is you know allowed to be done on on cannabis they're finding that with your endocannabinoid system that we all have it's our biggest sensory and system in our bodies um when those little receptors the endocannabinoid receptors are full and the cannabinoid goes into them and fills that receptor that receptor sends a signal to all of your cells in your body to perform more things than they're already doing so basically in a cannabinoid deficient system, your cells are performing less function than when your cannabinoid system is not deficient. So as you know, when it's full, your cells in your body literally doing more stuff for you. And it leads to it, it fights depression, it fights concussion, it, it fights the dead brain cells and Alzheimer's, it, it fights uh, MS, as you know, um, there's all kinds of, I mean, literally, the list is is longer than the banned list of substances for the IOC. I mean, this is like, a, you can literally trace the, the beginning of big pharma to the, the beginning of prohibition, literally. When they stopped using cannabis for medicine, that's when people started getting sick. And, um, you know, so now when, when, you, when you hear that, oh, my cells can do more things when my cannabinoid system is full, I mean, that's performance enhancing at, at a molecular level. I mean, you, you can't, that's not, that's an irrefutable scientific evidence. Yeah, we do know that there's research that's been out there and, and information that has been peer-reviewed and written about that talks about the fact that the endocannabinoid system is responsible for what we call cellular homeostasis, making the cells operate at their optimum efficiency. 
Ross, let me ask you a question, brother. I mean, when you look back at it now, this has been literally 21 years that you took a journey that mm, 15 years of it wasn't necessarily the best journey that you could have taken. Would you do this all over again? It would be an honor. Um, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, um, you know, it's emotional. Like I got the hairs on the back of my neck standing up right now, but, um, you know, it's been a big, huge honor for me to, to be this guy, to be the guy that, you know, had this opportunity to, you know, to speak out and, and, you know, on the behalf of millions of people around the world, um, that have, you know, lost you know, their families have been crushed by, you know, simple possession, um, ending up in a, in a penitentiary or, you know, racial profiling has been a thing over, you know, and, and prohibition has been used that way. Um, there's been all kinds of like terrible injustices that have been done to our society and to our people. And, you know, for me, like, who am I? I don't, I'm nobody. Um, I get to be this guy. You know, for me, that's, you know, I'd, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Well, if people wanted to read a little bit more about your story, what, what website can they go up on? Go ahead, give me a website. Yeah, well, you can go on to uh, LegacyByRoss.com. And um, you can check that out. I've got uh, RossRebliati.com. has a lot of my, my history. Uh, my ex turned it into a porn site uh, <laughs> a few years ago, <laughs> but we got it back. Okay. And um, so that's funny. But anyways, uh, yeah, no, you know what? I've lived... Uh, a pretty crazy life, but at the same time, I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, the ups and downs and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on, on YouTube about me. We're, we're coming out with all kinds of cool stuff from legacy, like our grow equipment and our, our grow tents that are coming out. Everyone in Canada is now allowed to do, or every household can do four plants. So we've got the nutrients, we've got the organic soil. So we're having a ton of fun. Um, you know, we like to, I, I like to consider myself a pretty, pretty good grower. Um, I can speak to the benefits of cannabis. Um, I'm an athlete, so we're pretty vertical over on this side of things. Like we get the plant. We love the plant. We're owners of a cannabis company who use the plant on a daily and not a lot of cannabis companies can say that. Absolutely. Well, you know, believe me- it or not. I'm telling you, I, I can't wait for the movie myself. Honestly, my friend, I think that movie should be done. And hopefully it'll get done soon. And if you need any help with that, make sure you reach out and let me know. And I'll I see sure what I can do to help you out. I appreciate that. I, I got to say, I, I can't, you know, this this whole, uh, you know, my whole venture right now with Let's Be Blunt was to be able to talk about stories like yours, my friend. And thank you so much for being so blunt with us today. <clears throat> so I think you know a lot of people need to stop for a second and remember that as we go through this period of time here in the United States with this green rush attitude, we have to remember that there was a dark rush, a dark attitude about this for quite a long time. And there were a lot of people who paid a price. And you were one of those people who paid that price, my friend. So thank you for doing so for the rest of us. And I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, and I'm rolling a blunt right now. Roll a big fatty for me. Celebrate. Roll a big fatty for me, my friend. Thank you. And I'll make sure. I'll make make sure later on the day I I blow a little in the air for you. I appreciate that, my friend. And um, let's let's stay in touch. Absolutely. You know, I I do go uh, snowboarding in Whistler from time to time. So you know, if I get up there this year, I'm going to reach out to you. Okay. To make a couple right, turns I'll for me. Come, you know? I'll come meet you. I'll meet you at the chair. We gotta make got sure we, we leave no turn unstoned. All right, my friend. 
<laughs> you, you be well, okay? Thank Thanks you. Thanks, Yes, sir. Well. Bye, and absolutely. For all of you listening, please make sure you go up on Ross's website and, and get some truth and get some history so you understand how far we've gone and then also know how far we still have to go. It's Montel. Let's be blunt. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Michigan, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.